Our sermon text this morning is Matthew chapter 10. And we are looking this morning, we are considering and studying this morning verses 26 to 33 of that 10th chapter. Again, Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 to 33. This is God's Word. Listen to it. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, that whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank You once again for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the incarnate Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, for His life, for His ministry on earth. We thank You, Lord, for His death, and especially His resurrection. We are grateful to You, O Lord, for the words uh, which Christ is speaking to us this morning. We pray, dear Lord, that You, uh, by Your Spirit, would fill us with a proper fear of God Most High. And that You would enable us, Lord, having that proper fear, to fearlessly go out and speak uh, to men and women and children, to those who are hostile to the good news of Christ, so that some might be one to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you will remember uh, in last week's passage, you can look back just a few verses and you will see uh, in last week's passage that Jesus said that He was sending out His disciples. He was sending them out how? He was sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He was sending helpless sheep in the midst of, of vicious wolves. And we talked a little about how that is the opposite of what we see in nature. It is the wolves who go to the sheep. It is the wolves who seek to destroy, to devour, to consume. And yet Jesus turns this on its head. And He says, I am sending you out as sheep, not to the slaughter, (laughs) but as sheep into the midst of wolves. And His intention, we saw, was for those wolves to be transformed into sheep. Indeed, the very disciples he's sending out as sheep were formerly wolves. But you remember that Jesus warned them that as they faithfully bore witness to him, they could count on being persecuted for their faith. They could count on this. It was a a fact that they could expect because of their witness to Christ Jesus. But he did promise them, in the midst of this warning, he promised them that those uh, in the end, those who endure to the end, would be saved. 
You know, you remember that last verse of the previous passage, and, and that passage ended with the words, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, these were ominous words. This was the rationale for why Jesus' disciples can, can, they did, they always will, uh, and should expect persecution. And so our passage this morning begins with words that, that might be a bit unexpected to us based on those immediately preceding words. Jesus says, so have no fear of them. <laughs> so have no fear of them. He's just said, if they'll call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? But then he says, so have no fear of them. And it seems like Jesus has just given his disciples in that preceding passage every reason to fear those who, he says, will most assuredly persecute them. So in our passage, Jesus is drawing a conclusion from last week's passage. But his focus is not, immediately on, uh, is, not, is not on those immediately preceding verses. His focus is on the primary subject of the preceding passage. And the primary subject is, the ones, is not the ones who persecute you for your beliefs. The primary subject of the preceding passage, the primary subject, subject of all of Scripture, is God Himself. Why should you have no fear? Because God. Because God. God is greater than all of your enemies, Jesus is saying in this passage. And as Charles Spurgeon said about this passage, he said, let us fear the greater, and we shall not fear the less. Let us fear the greater, and we shall not fear the less. And so I would ask you to consider uh, this thought as we work our way through these verses. Have no fear when you confess your faith in Christ, because God, who has the power over life and over death, has become your heavenly Father. Again, have no fear when you confess your faith in Christ to other people because God, who has power over life and over death, has become your heavenly Father. We'll be looking at this passage in three sections. Verses 26 to 27, which I've titled Proclaim. Verses 28 to 31, Proper Fear. And verses 32 to 33, Confession or Denial. Again, verses 26 to 27, Proclaim. Verses 28 to 31, proper fear. And verses 32 to 33, confession or denial. So let's look at these first two verses, 26 and 27. Now, as we've already seen, Jesus starts out in verse 26 telling his disciples not to fear. He says, have no fear. And we've talked a little bit about that. It's because they've been adopted as God's own sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Because of this, because you have been adopted as His sons and daughters, you are under the protection of God Most High. Now those of you who are parents here, you will know what it's like to see a child of yours getting picked on or bullied. And you'll have this tension within you. You'll have a tension of this desire. You want to see your child stand up for himself. You want to make sure his child is able to defend himself. But you're also watching for those signs when something crosses the line. You're watching for that moment when, when you know you've got to step over and you've got to step in and you've got to defend your child from harm. Now, I have seen mild-mannered mothers, <laughs> meek and humble mothers, who become fearsome when they see their child come into harm's way. 
Well, Jesus here is saying that his disciples should have no fear because their Father in heaven is here with us. And he protects us with perfection. There is no hesitancy, there is no weakness on the part of God. God will never be overpowered, he'll never be outmaneuvered by the ones who threaten us. And therefore, Jesus says, we can bear witness to Jesus without any concern for what might happen to us. This is, this is what it is. It's a, it's a freeing knowledge that we have. When you know that you are nestled in the tender care of your Heavenly Father, you are freed then to be bold in your proclamation and your witness to Christ Jesus. But in this passage, Jesus gives an additional reason for not having fear. And he says this in the, the continuation of verse 26. He says uh, there uh, in the last half of it, For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Now this is an additional reason for why you and I, for all of Christ's disciples, should have no fear. But what is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is saying, in other words, that those who persecute God's people, those who are coming after you because of your, your witness to Christ, the wolves, they're going to be exposed They're going to be exposed as the wolves that they are. They're going to be exposed at some point. It may may be now, it may be later, it may be on that last day, that great day of judgment. But they will be exposed for who they truly are. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, verse 24, the sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. You see, sinners, wolves, try to hide their sins. They they try to conceal them. But an integral part of anyone coming to Christ is for that person's sins to be exposed. A person must acknowledge and repent of his sins as a part of a true confession of Christ. Jesus is saying that some of those who actively persecute his disciples will end up confessing him as their Lord and Savior. Some of the wolves into which Jesus sends you will become sheep. And this is the purpose. This is the reason. This is the goal for Jesus sending out His disciples amidst the wolves. Now Jesus in verse 27 elaborates on His disciples' role in exposing sin. He says, "...what I tell you in the dark, say in the light." And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Stealth, cunning, deceit. These are the tactics that wolves use to capture and devour their prey. This is what they do. They sneak in under cover of of night. They're surreptitious. They will deceive you. All so that they can tear you apart. But Jesus is saying in these verses that He will give His disciples the words that they are to speak. And these words will fully expose the persecutors. And this, in this verse 27, this is an expansion on what Jesus said back in verses 19 and 20 in last week's passage where He said that we are not to be anxious about what we say when we come before those uh, who persecute us. And we're not to be anxious because God the Father will speak through us by His Spirit. And we have a perfect picture of what Jesus is talking about here, in the opening chapter of Jeremiah, when God calls Jeremiah to prophetic ministry. If you want to turn to chapter 1 of Jeremiah, you may do so now. 
Verses 4 to 8 of chapter 1 say this, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then in verse 9, the Lord touches Jeremiah's mouth. He touches his mouth and he tells him, Behold, I have put my, ma- my words into your mouth. Now I think that we, we've got to be readily willing to admit that the prophetic utterances of Jeremiah or the words spoken by the twelve apostles are very different from the words that we will speak when we confess Christ to other people. We cannot put them on the same level. We do not say that our words are equal to uh, the inscripturated Word of God. With that being said, Jesus promises that He will give His disciples the words to speak. The idea here is the same. We don't go around saying, Thus saith the Lord when we talk to someone about our faith in Christ. But God's Spirit uses us. He does give us the words. He uses the words of His servants to to convict sinners. He uses your feeble words and my feeble words to bring about repentance and faith in those who are opposed to the good news. Now we are not apostles, we are not prophets, and we, but we do have one thing that the apostles and the prophets did not have. We have one advantage over them. Well, what is that? It's the full Scripture, the full Word of God. We have it. Jeremiah had a part of it. The twelve apostles had, had a greater part of it than Jeremiah, but they did not have what you have before you this morning. We have the full text. And as we store that, that Word of God up in our hearts, the Spirit uses the Word in our ministry to other people. He uses it. He will help us to recall it. And so we can speak the words of truth to those who do not know Christ Jesus. Well, because of God's protection, because of His faithfulness in giving us what we need to say, we can be fearless in proclaiming His Word from the rooftops to those who are opposed to the Gospel. Let's look now at verses 28 to 31. Proper fear. In verse 28, Jesus tells His disciples a second time that they are not to fear. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He is telling His disciples that there are limits to what their persecutors can do. Now to the world, to our society, to those who do not know Christ Jesus, the worst thing possible... It's physical death. The worst thing that you can imagine if you don't know Christ Jesus is, is your own physical demise. The decay of your bodies. And so there are, there are people who are searching for the fabled fountain of youth. It continues and it goes on to the tune of billions and billions of dollars spent by those who are hoping to elude death. But Jesus is saying that the death of the physical body is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. But that is the most, that is the worst that persecutors can do to Christians. Jesus tells them, don't fear. Don't fear them. 
Rather fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Your persecutors cannot touch your soul. And Jesus here is saying that your soul is more important to God than your bodies are. Your persecutors cannot touch your soul, but God has the the power to cast your body and your soul into hell, into the eternal fire of His judgment forever. Therefore, fear God, not man. In comparison, the persecutor isn't capable of doing too much, is he? In comparison to what God can do, you see, anyone can harm the body. You can harm your own body. But God alone has the power over the soul. God is the real threat uh, in this verse. But those who properly fear Him have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to fear. And Jesus says in verses 29 to 31, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, once again, Jesus in these verses is using an argument from the lesser to the greater. He talks about sparrows. He talks about these little birds who are worth very little. But God oversees the lives of the sparrows. He knows when they fall. In fact, He has ordained it. It is a part of His will. He is sovereign over the smallest details of life. And then Jesus turns His gaze from from these sparrows to His disciples. And He says that all the hairs on their heads are numbered. He knows the hairs on your head. You see, for the believer, God is not a threat. He is the sovereign protector. He is the one who knows everything about you, the intimate details of who you are. You see, if you love a person, if you love something, you will want to know everything about that person. You will want to know everything about that that something. I've mentioned before, the first car that I had, it was was sort of a beat-up 1968 Camaro. It ran good. It had a great chassis, but it looked rough. But I knew that car inside and out. I, I loved it. I probably loved it a little too much. And I've mentioned before, the car was stolen. And it was a great freeing experience because of, that, because of that, uh, that, uh, the fact that I overly loved it. But there was a day when uh, my mom and I we were driving along. We passed my Camaro in my hometown, two hours from where it had been stolen. We got on the interstate behind it. We chased it down. We, we were able, in, in God's sovereign plan, a, a deputy, this was before cell phones, a sheriff's deputy got on the interstate before us. We flagged him down. He took off, chased down the Camaro. I got there. The, the, the sheriff's deputy asked me, can you, can you name a couple of identifying uh, features about the car? And I rattled off half a dozen without thinking about it because I knew that car inside and out. My dad and I had lovingly restored that car. And even though I didn't have the serial number memorized, I knew enough for them to hold on to it until we could produce the proof that that car belonged to me. Now, God is saying that He knows you. He knows you in even greater detail than I knew that Camaro. And He loves you more than you can ever imagine loving an automobile. He loves you more than you can ever imagine loving your own child, the the child whose features you study when he or she is sleeping. 
God knows you. And because He knows you, He protects you. He knows your limits. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you're capable of handling. And He promises that if you fear Him, you'll have no reason to fear anyone else. If you fear God, you have absolutely no reason to be afraid of anyone or anything else. Having a proper fear of God means that you love Him and that you are loved by Him. You know with certainty that nothing can happen outside of His will. Nothing can happen to you except that God wills it to happen. And you know that this will for you, His will for you, whatever might happen, is for your own benefit. There is no safer place for you than resting in the knowledge that your Father loves you. Therefore, therefore you can fearlessly proclaim the good news of salvation because for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Even the harm that is intended for you by those who would persecute you, God will turn it and He will use it for good. Therefore, Jesus says, have no fear. Have no fear. Let's look at these last two verses of this passage. Confession or denial. In verse 32, Jesus draws another conclusion. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before God, before men rather, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying that if you faithfully speak my words... If you proclaim from the rooftops what I have given you to speak, if you acknowledge me or confess me before men, I will also confess you before my Father in heaven. Now we are often very timid about talking uh, to other people about Jesus. But what if these original disciples were as timid as you or I uh, are? What if these original disciples refused to confess Jesus Christ before men? Jesus has been telling them in an extended passage here. He's been telling them that they will be persecuted for their confession. What if their fear of persecution had caused them to walk away? What if their fear of persecution had driven them back to catching fish and collecting taxes? I suppose that, humanly speaking, the result of this would be that you and I would not know Christ Jesus to this day. We would not know who He is. Because the disciples were not faithful. They had fear. Fear of man rather than fear of God. That is sadly fascinating to me that we live in one of the freest countries in the world. We live in the freest country that the world has ever known. We have very little religious persecution. We have the right to talk to other people about our faith in Christ. It is, it is a part of the, of the constitution of our nation. And yet, we are so afraid to talk to other people about Jesus. What have we to fear of all people on the face of the earth? What if the apostles had been like we are? They had much more reason to fear, didn't they? Thank God that they could all say with Paul, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. 
Are you and I ashamed of the gospel? Is our desire to keep it hidden under a basket? Are we afraid of being identified as those who bear the name of Christ? Do we believe that it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes this gospel that Christ has given us to speak? Well, Jesus says here, if you confess me before men who are are only capable of harming you physically, I will confess you before my Father in heaven who is capable, who is powerful enough to destroy your body and your soul. In one sense, it is a very small thing to confess Christ to other people. Who are men that we should be fearful of them? But in another sense, confessing Christ to another person is everything in the world to that person. What is the difference to that person between life and death? It may be a small thing to us, but it is a a wonderful and tremendous thing to a person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ because of the words that we speak. But ultimately, acknowledging or confessing Christ to others, it is an integral part of a true profession of faith in Jesus Christ. If you have truly professed faith in Him, you will confess your faith in Christ to other people. Jesus says if you acknowledge Him, He will acknowledge you before His Father. But, He says in verse 33, whoever denies Me before men, I also will deny before My Father who is in heaven. As the Apostle Peter says in his first letter, you need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have. You've got to be ready. The Lord, as He sees fit, will give each of us opportunities to give this reason for the hope that we have. He will bring people into your lives. He will give you that opportunity to speak about your faith in Christ. And everyone who truly believes will use these opportunities to confess Christ. But that does not mean that there won't be occasions where we fail to properly confess Him. It does not mean that we won't on occasion be tempted and given to that temptation to deny who Jesus is. You remember the Apostle Peter who wrote those words in 1 Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was the same Apostle who denied the Lord Jesus three different times. The Father can be merciful to those, even to those who deny Jesus Christ because Jesus died on the cross, even for them. He died for you and me as a sacrifice for our sins, even for the sin of denying Him. And so this sin of denying Christ before men is a sin that can be forgiven through Christ's death and resurrection. But keep in mind this one thing. The Apostle Peter did not continue to deny Jesus Christ. He did not persist in his denial. He repented of his sin. Jesus restored him on the shore of Galilee. Peter had faith. He had faith in Jesus Christ and he became one of the most influential men that the world has ever known because he faithfully confessed Christ. Through faith in Christ, you and I have been transformed into the children of God. We've been brought into his family through the adoption of his sons. And we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear from any other human being 
if we have a proper fear of God as our defender and our king. This should give you the hope. This should give you the reason not to deny Jesus before men. Because of this, we can boldly proclaim what Christ has given us to say. We can confess Jesus as Lord and give a reason for our hope. Because of the fact that God has raised Him from the dead. This gives us, Jesus gives us the ability to confess Him before men. And He promises that when we do this, and if we are faithful to do this, He will confess you. And He will confess me before His Father who is in heaven. He does it all for us. He does it. He gives you and He gives me the power and the strength to do this. And all He requires of us is that we believe in Him, that we trust in Jesus, and we place our hopes and we place our fears in Him alone. Well, let us come before the Lord Jesus in prayer. Our gracious God, we give You thanks. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You are faithful to confess us before Your Father in Heaven. We are thankful, dear Lord, that You give us the words that we are to speak to those who are perishing. We ask, Lord, that You would cause us not to fear man, but only to fear God. And to trust that our Father in Heaven loves us and protects us and that He will guide us through our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.